Welcome, everybody, to Navigating Change, the podcast from Tybal Inc. We are coming to you once again from Ikubo Annual Meeting in Philadelphia. I'm Pete Wright, and I am here once again with Howard Tybal holding court in the Cheers Lounge. Howard? Pete? This is our second podcast together uh, from the Cheers Lounge. I am in Portland, Oregon. You are in the Cheers Lounge in Philadelphia, and I, I worry that I'm I'm losing you. Are you are you fading out yet? Have, have they been too the kind wine, to you at the bar? No, the wine is pouring liberally, but we're still coherent. <laughs> Excellent. We're well, doing very well. We have a, we have a wonderful conversation uh, that we are uh, about to have here with two fantastic guests. I'm going to let you do the introductions there, uh, Howard. Very good. So what we have here is uh, the current board chair of Nakubo, Greg Goldman, and we have Dave Button, who is the chief business officer of finance administration at University of Regina, which is in, is it Saskatchewan? Absolutely. There we go, baby. I pulled that off. Unbelievable. I I grew up in Buffalo, which is like 30 minutes away from Canada, so I feel almost like I could be a Canadian. Well, here's a really good navigating point for the Americans. Take the uh, border between Montana and North Dakota, and it's exactly 100 miles straight north of that, uh, that intersection. Got it. So in the province of Saskatchewan, the flatlands of Canada. So it's really exciting for us that you are in this, both of you, because... Stepping into this role, Greg, as Nakubo board chair, how are you feeling at this point? Excited? Yeah, I mean, it's an amazing opportunity to carry the flag, to help um, move our profession forward, and to really um, take what is important to me, which is the academic side of enterprise. So my career path into this role was from 20 years on the academic side. So understanding deans, faculty, students, and really being able to take that also carry the flag nationally and internationally when we have our annual conference next July up in Quebec is an amazing, amazing opportunity. Yeah, it's very exciting, Pete. So we've got the Nakubo annual meeting next year. It's going to be in Montreal, Canada. And I assume you're going to be there, Dave. Absolutely. (laughs) I'll make uh, every effort to be there. And and, uh, Montreal is going to be a great place. You'll love it. So so let me ask a question, you know, having done a, a little bit of reading about sort of the interpretation of the difference of higher education in Canada versus the United States. And you have immersed yourself in being with us at, at this Equal conference, and I'm sure being at other conferences. What are some fundamental difference, if any, in terms of navigating some of the challenges facing higher education as you're finding them in Canada? Well, uh, one of the easiest ways to answer that question is I would say that there's less difference between Canada and the states in general, as there is, say, between any two institutions in either one of our countries. Mm. Like, there is so much that is similar uh, that that it, it's hard to find differences. Of course, we fill out different tax forms and we have a, a few different regulatory uh, requirements and things, but it is really, the challenges are identical yeah. in terms of uh, either finance or dealing with people, uh, the interrelationship with the faculty from the administrators. It is a common interest across all bounds. And when you think of so you you ran the uh, or you led the Canadian version of what these associations. What is the name of the association in Canada? The, the acronym is almost the same. It's CALBO, so it's the Canadian Association of University Business Officers. And I've been on the board now for seven years. Mm. 
uh, on the executive for four years, and I actually spent two years as president. Just an anomaly. Our our, uh, our, our incoming president-elect ended up retiring early, and so we just decided to continue with the same board and same executive for an additional year. So I've been fortunate to go beyond the uh, the legal limit, which in our board is two terms of three years each, and so I've actually been serving seven years now. You know, one of the things that I read, so, so there was an article of Greg Goldman's in uh, Business Officer Magazine, and one of the things that you responded to in response to a question from Martin Perez-Drake was the idea that whether it's a public or a private, the issues are the same. Sometimes we can make too big a deal or, or put too much emphasis on the differences in how we have to lead in a private versus a public setting. I'd love to hear you talk about this. Yeah, I mean, I think in general, people try to classify our institutions, obviously public, private, and clearly on the technical side, GASB, FASB, yeah, there are major differences. But when you look at faculty, when you look at funding sources, when you look at the need for advancement and fundraising, we're no different uh, depending which we are. So having come from a large uh, private, USC, for 11 years, there's a lot of things there that were harder to do than being at a large public. Uh, HR, USC, was the largest uh, employer in LA County. So therefore, uh, things around HR were very, very challenging because we were living in such a litigious society. Uh, things on the public side around purchasing are a lot harder just because of state statute, um, ABOR policy. So I think people, people try to bucket us into these buckets as CBOs. Uh, you come from a public, you come from a private. Faculty are the same, instructions the same, programs are the same. I think the reality is, um, depending on where you come from, it's the challenges that you've dealt with over time that enable you to deal with those things that are thrown at you when you move into the role. So I actually think that we should more often jump back and forth between the two types of institutions, and uh, we shouldn't be classified as somebody that came out of one or the other. Yeah, so for yourself, tell us a little bit about University of Regina. Sure, University of Regina, comprehensive university, probably one of the, uh, we actually categorize them as larger medical research schools, comprehensive research institutions, and then mainly teaching institutions in Canada. And the University of Regina is in that, uh, that second category is a fairly significant comprehensive university in the country. It'd be just interesting in terms of public-private, in Canada, it's might as well assume it's 100% public. There's a couple of tiny, tiny privates, but it's a, a public-based institution across Canada. And what do you think the impact of that, when you observe in the U.S., the private versus public, and the differences in many ways, see, see my impression of the differences in terms of levers or triggers, in the publics, it's about retention. A lot of other things, but they're admitting 30 to 50,000 students for large publics. In the privates, we got the discount rate is the issue. What is what are some of the issues for the primarily publics in Canada? The, the, the big issues nowadays, because of the same financial challenge that I think is going across the uh, uh, across the world and things since the uh, the recent downturn, is that governments don't have as much money to be able to take and uh, even if they recognize post-secondary education as an important investment they just don't have enough money to take and invest. And so what is typical, about 60% or about two thirds of the funding in the Canadian universities tends to come from government. 
and that has been dropping significantly. So where, where it was, say, a decade ago at about 70%, it's now going to be pretty soon 50-50. Wow. And so that's a challenge. Tuition rates, as a result, are, are getting quite a bit higher. So for the two of you, what are, what are some things you're taking away from having been here at Ikubo that you're top of mind want to bring back to your institution? I mean, from the morning session, it is. So the old um, adage of keep your money in your mattress. Um, I think I want to get my yellow pad out, ditch my iPad, my iPhone, and my computer. Um, I think it's it's a reality of what's important for us in our day-to-day world. So to me, being able to come to a conference like this, listen to speakers during the day, and bring that back to our campuses is impactful and, and why we do these things that we do. What about yourself? The, uh, that would be the type. Unfortunately, I just flew in a couple of hours ago, so I haven't had a chance to, uh, to catch any of this conference yet. But I can tell you what I tend to get. In addition to those, those indiv- some key learning points, is I normally find that by talking with my colleagues and hearing what they're going through, I realize, hey, things aren't that bad back mm. home. Things in, in relative terms, we're doing well. And so it takes and reinforces an awful lot of the good things that you are doing, and you get to do a little bit of tweaking, but it is psychologically powerful to take and refresh you going home. That's fantastic because, you know, I'll tell you, when we come together as peers in, in any kind of discipline, I have that same experience that people walk away typically feeling like, you know what, one, I'm not alone, and two, That's, maybe it's not as bad as I thought. Exactly. Which exactly. is a really important insight. One of the things I love that Greg shared in his, um, you know, coming as an academic and then winning over the hearts and minds in your, in your institution and the role that you play at your institution, I find that it is so refreshing for me to hear that you really are putting your money where your mouth is. In the article, Pete, one of the things it says is that he had one of the groundskeepers, I think it was, say to him, you are the first, in this case, CFO that has that I've had a chance to really connect with. And what I, what I take away from that is that you really recognize that every role is a value and you, and you go out of your way to honor that across the campus. And that only can build trust. Here's a silly question. Where did you learn this? I mean, I don't think it's something that you learn. I think it's something that is in your gut, in your heart, in your soul, in your gut. Yeah. So, I mean, you can't you can't teach somebody to be compassionate. You can't teach somebody to be caring. Um, my group is 1,300 individuals across very diverse types of disciplines, from grounds to police to facilities to um, uh, carpenters. And ultimately, they all are part of this complex puzzle and put it together. <clears throat> so I don't think you can teach someone to be a kind, caring, compassionate person. But see, what's interesting but, for me about that is that I actually think that your predecessors and all of the people that do this, it's not that they don't care, it's no. that you recognize the importance of making the time. Well, I mean, so so in fairness to the people that served in this role before me, correct. Uh, different time, different place, yep. different presidents, different drivers, different motivators. Right. So I think the worst thing somebody can do is try to be who they're not. Mm. And I think the most important is, is my style of leadership may not have been the same or right style of leadership for the person before me, or you know, not what I'm in this role for 13 or 15 years, for the person after me. That's it's right. what works for me in this role. So in no way does my style, or the plumber that came up to me and said, 
in 22 years I've never met the CFO. That was not a knock on past CFOs. Correct. That's just a point of where we are and where we're going. And your style and how you want to lead. Correct. That's I mean, the I, other focus. I think we need to be true to ourselves and honest to who we are and how we lead and not try to be who others think we should be or want us to be. So, you know, it's funny, you know, we, we talk about silos and there's clearly an opportunity, I would imagine, for more people in the States to get the experience of coming to Canada and seeing some of the best practices there and vice versa. What are some things you think some CFOs, business officers would learn from practices in Canada? Is there any difference? Is there anything happening there you think that would be of value for at least those listening to this who are primarily from the United States would learn from our Canadian counterparts? Well, I think there's lots to learn that we can learn from each other, whether it's from two different institutions across state lines or whether it's across the border. It, it's the same kind of learning opportunities and things. I think in Canada, some of the things that we're uh, maybe a little bit more rehearsed in is that for those institutions that happen to be, uh, as you mentioned, in the public environment, we've got a extremely high and increasing expectations on things like transparency and things. Mm. So our, our governance structures and things like that expect 100% publicity. So to, to give you a, an example, at our institution recently, we've been been uh, pushed, appropriately pushed to take and we publish everything, every bit of the budget, the entire budget book, it, every executive's travel expenses, salaries of everyone across the country, like, if it is a number that exists in our system, it is basically made public. So that transparency bit, as I think, and I think as we expect students and parents to, to start paying more for education, as any other customer would, they want to know where that money is going. So not only is there, a, is there a government expectation for transparency, there's student and there's parent, and so I think that's one thing that we've really moved forward on in Canada. This is an important point, isn't it? Yeah, it Greg, really when you think about transparency, in your experience of doing this for as many years as you have, in my experience of supporting higher education, there is so much reluctance because of the fear of, of having someone taking that information and doing some, something with it that won't forward our, our vision. I mean, I think transparency is more and more important. I think um, the the public expects it. I think the legislature expects it. I think that um, the community expects it. So we need to, I mean, I'm fortunate that I've worked at RCM institutions that tend to be very, very transparent. Um, I think more and more as state funding declines, the public the legislature are going to expect more and more of that type of transparency. Um, is there something that's too much transparency? I don't think so. I think um, we need to be open and honest in what we do and how we do it. That's great. So, Pete, that's, anything you'd like to say? That, Go ahead. No, that's a, this is a fantastic conversation. And you actually stole all my great questions, Howard. I'm sitting here making notes, and there you are asking them before I can even get them out, as usual. Listen, I've learned from you. What, the, what can I tell you? <laughs> this is fantastic. And I think it is a great uh, cap on our conversation that, that we posted last week, that uh, the expectations going into the next year from the regional uh, association presidents and chairs and and uh, hearing from Greg and, and hearing from uh, Dave Button from uh, 
University of Regina. I think this is a, a, a fantastic conversation taking us forward into uh, next year and the things that we're, we're going to be working on. So um, thank you so much, gentlemen, for joining us uh, once again. Greg Goldman from University of Arizona, current board chair of NACUBO, and uh, Dave Button, vice president of administration, University of Regina, past president of Cowbo uh, from uh, Saskatchewan. It's fantastic. This is a global, it's it's, it's an international panel. Uh, And on behalf of Howard Teibel, I'm Pete Wright. Thanks for joining us this week on Navigating Change, the podcast from Teibel Inc.